with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Thursday edition. Coming up in the back half of the hour, we have Tim Yule. He'll be in to talk about entertainment and other goings-on. But first off, we'll start off with yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Hi, I'm Jamie Poisson. As COVID-19 has gripped the world for over a year now, so too has a mystery. Where exactly this monster virus came from? Yesterday, the World Health Organization and China brought us a little bit closer to an answer. There is a lot of good leads that are in the recommendation of this report, and we anticipate that many of them, if not all of them, will be followed through because we owe to the world to try to understand what happened how it did happen, why, and try to prevent something similar to happen again. That's the WHO's lead on this investigation, Peter Ben Embarek. His team joined scientists in China for four weeks early this year. The result is this 300-page juggernaut of a report. There's a ranking of the most likely and least likely ways that COVID broke out, even talk about possible spread through frozen food. But there's also lingering concerns over China's potential influence on the report. Yesterday, Canada and 12 countries raised concerns about delays and lack of access to data. To sort through all of this, I'm joined by Amy Maxman, senior reporter for Nature. I'm very grateful that she's read all 300 pages of this report. Hi, Amy. Thank you for being here. Hi. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. So look, uh, we're more than a year into the pandemic, and this report has been delayed repeatedly. So I, I can't wait to get a real human explanation of what it concluded. But first, tell me about the circumstances around this investigation that finally gave us this report. Yeah, so you know, there's been calls to investigate the source of the pandemic for a long time. Of course, that's really important because we want to know where it came from with the hope that we could prevent it from happening again. You know, and there's delays for various reasons. One is that, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, especially like when China was really in the heat of it in the beginning months there in January and February and March, uh, there's not really time to stop and do this sort of more fundamental study. And then also some of the delays just getting access into China with an international team and getting access to a lot of data. Uh, China does hold their information quite closely. So, so that alone took a number of months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, how long did this international team have on the ground in China? So they were in China for four weeks, but two of those weeks were spent in quarantine. So they were there, but they weren't like wandering around for two of the weeks. And the next two weeks they spent in Wuhan you know, toured a number of facilities, they met with officials, they talked with a lot of people, they went through data, this sort of thing. Okay. And I just want to be clear here, this is a joint China WHO investigation, right? I'm glad you asked, because it's not quite that clear. The report um, describes the findings of the Wuhan field visit that was conducted by a group of international scientists and Chinese scientists. As Basically, there are 17 Chinese scientists and 17 scientists from other parts of the world, including the U.S., the U.K., Japan, and a number of other countries. A few of those scientists are from the WHO, 
But it's not really like a WHO report because to me that sort of sounds like it's WHO and the Chinese government. But no, it, it was just that I would say WHO organized it and they did a lot of sort of diplomacy on the back end to make sure that the scientists could get the access that they needed. Okay. And, and did the report come to any real conclusions about how the virus made its way into humans? You know, I, I understand they basically rank the, the most likely to the least likely culprits here. And there we looked at four possible pathways for the introduction of the virus. And can you take me through the most likely one first? So the most likely one they think is that a human or humans were infected from animals and that the animal that infected them is sort of an intermediate, kind of like a middleman between where this coronavirus usually lives and the animal that passed it to humans. This is the case in a lot of infectious diseases. Take rabies. Rabies, the common reservoir for rabies is bats, but people often get rabies from dogs or from mm -hmm. monkey bites, things like that. So it's sort of, there's like sort of a middleman that passes it on and the virus can sort of evolve slightly, you know, as it's being passed animal to animal and within animals. Okay. And do we know the original animal and then the intermediary animal? Uh, no. The best guesses so far, you know, which are kind of based on a lot of studies that have been done previously, is I think bats are a pretty good candidate as a reservoir just because bats have so many coronaviruses. Different coronaviruses have been found within bats. But no, the smoking gun isn't there. The closest sequence to SARS-CoV-2 is from a horseshoe bat. But still, it's like around 96% similar, which isn't all that similar. And do they have a sense of the intermediary animal? Uh, no, they don't. Okay. Short answer is no. There was those kind of teases that it was a pangolin, but we've since discovered that actually that sequence w was not very close to what's in humans. You know, I think the ideas I've heard thrown around are various mammals, like some of the ones that we know do get SARS-CoV-2 easily, like cats and ferrets and minks. Animals like that have all been found to carry SARS-CoV-2. So the idea is maybe it's something like that. And did the report address, you know, the location of where this may have originated? You know, I know that there had been a lot of talk about wildlife farms um, where animals are bred, but then also, of course, the seafood market in Wuhan, which was largely thought to be ground zero. It's believed the virus most likely emerged from this market in Wuhan, probably involving bats, but also... Yeah, so I should say... The seafood market, the name seafood's a bit um, confusing because actually they sold a whole lot more than just mm -hmm. seafood. Our market is a huge market with more than 1,500 uh, vendors and, and shops, different type of meats, poultry, seafood, wild animal uh, meat, etc. So the Huanan market, you know, when this first started, that was the original thought about maybe where this had begun. But then, you know, we had seen other cases outside of the market who weren't linked to that. So then it was sort of tossed aside. Well, it's kind of come back in this report. Now, the WHO's team does not conclude that it was from the Huanan market, but if you read the report, they really spent a lot of time there. And part of that is because they looked at, you know, around 170 people who had symptoms of COVID in December. Around two-thirds of those people said that they had been exposed to animals. This is either living or dead or parts or frozen animals or whatever, but animals of some kind just prior to their symptoms. Another thing is they sequenced the entire genomes of SARS-CoV-2 in some of those early cases, definitely not all of them. 
And they found that like eight of the earliest sequences are identical and they all they all come from people who are linked to the Hunan market. Hmm. So that suggests there was, you know, an outbreak there in a limited amount of time. I don't want this to sound like a really overly simplistic question, yeah. but you know, why can they not just figure this out, frankly? Like, why is it so hard for them to figure out where this started and what animals it started in? And then how did it, how it spread to, to humans? That's a really good question. Um, so remember, I think one of the tricks here is we're looking back in time. You know, in an ideal world, the minute we've got this outbreak, a huge investigation starts. We collect all of the animals at the markets and sample them all for SARS-CoV-2. But what happened is like in the middle of a crisis, it sounds like Chinese researchers did take some samples from the market, but their priority was shutting down the markets. Um, and so between January and March, there were some samples collected. You know, they took swabs of trash cans and took some samples from some animals stored in freezers, but they didn't collect a lot of the animals or most of the animals even sold in these markets and vegetables. For that matter, there's no reason to just favor animals. You know, there's outbreaks of salmonella and other, you know, deadly pathogens. So they didn't take all of the samples you would ideally want and test them for COVID and isolate virus so that we could sequence the genomes. That would have been the ideal way to do it. This is all a year later. So it's really quite some detective work to try and go back and piece this all together. Right. I understand this report. It, it also deals with some other theories about how this virus may have originated and also spread. One of them has to do with frozen food. And, and can you talk to me about this one? Then we also look at the possibility of frozen food products or contaminated products being a vehicle for the virus, allowing the virus to enter the Wuhan area from further away. The frozen food ideas, an outbreak that happened in Beijing was kind of traced back to some frozen goods. And so there's a thought that maybe that's how that started and maybe that's how the, how the whole pandemic began. But they didn't find a lot of support suggesting that it would be frozen animals as opposed to animals of any other kind. So there's just sort of not a lot of weight to that one. Okay. I know another one that we've, we've heard uh quite a bit about people will have probably heard it in part because uh, the former president of the United States touted this one quite a bit, that it could have uh, originated in a lab. And my question is, have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And I think. And, and yeah. where did the report land on this one? So the report calls that possibility very unlikely. And we try to stay to what are the hard facts we have. We try to stay away from suspicions, uh, ideas, uh, theories, and so on. Because People who are worried about a lab leak suggest that, you know, either accidentally or intentionally, researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology kind of created this virus and released it into the world. So these researchers went to the Institute and they talked to a lot of the researchers there. And the report details their discussions. So, for example, there was an idea that maybe somebody who worked at the Institute was working on a SARS-CoV-2 virus 
got infected and then, you know, wandered out into the city. And maybe that's why, you know, you get this outbreak at the market. But there's a few things that they pointed out there. So one, the researchers at the Institute said they tested everybody who worked there for antibodies and nobody tested positive. They also said they are not working on any viruses that are very closely related to SARS-CoV-2. They were working on some that are related to SARS-1. These are sort of sister groups, but they're not very close. Then they pointed out that, you know, some of the viruses that are closer to SARS-CoV-2, like the one found in horseshoe bass that's 96% similar or the one found in pangolins, those are actually closer than the ones that they were looking at in the lab. You know, look, I, I think we've already seen pushback on the lab theory, right, from even within the WHO on this, from the organization's director general, right? He he is saying that he, he doesn't believe that the assessment was extensive enough. And talk to me a little bit about why you think he's saying that. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't get in his head, but I can say that um, Dr. Tedros at the WHO and I think other people who might also point out that they wish the lab assessment had been deeper. It's not necessarily saying that they think that there was a lab leak, to be clear. There's, you know, the overwhelming majority of scientists think the evidence is much stronger on the idea that it comes from animals. There's a lot of evidence suggesting it's that way. This is precedence. So it's not to say that the 300 pages of reporting are incorrect, but it is true that when you read the report, it's pretty flimsy on the lab assessment. I mean, like I said, they went and they talked with researchers. You know, some people might say that all of those researchers at the Wuhan Institute are lying. And mm -hmm. my sources don't feel like they're lying, to be clear. But, you know, what would you expect from I guess it depends on what would you expect from a real investigation? Can you go and talk to every single researcher privately about what happened there? Um, can you go through all of the lab notebooks? Can you test all of the samples they ever had there? And what Dr. Tedros is saying is, I think he wants to make it clear that he is not about to say, we did the most serious investigation of a lab one could do. Of course, said it immediately and have, I think, said it throughout the course of the past months that nobody would expect that this mission would have come up with the final answer and that we will have showed up at the end of the mission holding uh, whatever animal in our hands and said, here is the culprit. That was never the intention or the expectation. This is work in progress again. That is part one of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Part two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM's After Nine. Hey world, this is Michael Franti. This is Kanan. Foho in the dark. Gogo Bordello. Hi, I'm Natasha Atlas. Greetings, this is Daniel Stevens. Justin Adams. This is Steve Riley of the Mamu Playboys. Talvin Singh, you're listening to Free Range Radio. Steve Berlin. Cesar Rosas. We're from Los Lobos and you've discovered music with no borders and no boundaries. This is Cal Coat, the best artist in the world come home to worldly candor radio join me each week for a ride on the global side world beat canada radio sunday nights at nine on 93.1 cfis fm prince george artists co-op has one more spring workshop feathers with lorraine elliott and judy lisk feathers takes place on four consecutive saturdays from 10 to noon starting may 1st 
Cost is $25 for members, $55 for non-members. Pen and ink and watercolor online workshop, Feathers, from Prince George Artists Co-op, starting May 1st. To register, call Lorraine at 250-964-9868. Like you, Tourism Prince George is passionate about exploring our city, especially now when it's not the time to travel. Currently, all non-essential travel to and within BC should be avoided. With that in mind, Tourism Prince George has put together all the information you need to stay local and support local. Find everything you need to know about COVID restrictions, what's open, and travel protocols by clicking on the Know Before You Go link at tourismpg.com. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers this morning. Wind from the southwest at 40, gusting to 60, a high of 6. Partly cloudy tonight, a 30% chance of flurries overnight. Gusting southwest winds becoming light late this evening. A low of minus 1 with a wind chill to minus 6. Cloudy on Friday, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the day. Wind south 20, gusting to 40 late in the morning and a high of 5. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is part two of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. I want to talk a little bit more about China here. And, and there's been a lot of concern, as you said, that they put up barriers, uh, that they resisted an investigation, that they initially blocked a UN team from entering China, denied them access to some records. Uh, and then, you know, we're also hearing from countries and leaders as well. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken raised concerns about this study on Sunday. Organization, We've got real concerns about the methodology and the process that went into that report, uh, including the fact that uh, the, the government in Beijing apparently helped uh, to write it. But let's see what comes. And then on Tuesday, the U.S., Canada and 11 other countries signed this letter saying they're concerned about a lack of data and transparency. And based on... What you saw in this report and what the researchers have told you, how much should we be worried about China's influence here? I don't think this report should just be thrown away. I think that would be really unfortunate. I don't think there is any evidence suggesting that, you know, Beijing officials wrote this whatsoever. And I think it's only fair to say there's a lot of politics going on here, you know, between the U.S. and China. And that very much influences how people see the report. As far as the statement from countries goes, that statement was an interesting one to me. That one didn't really suggest that they're not trusting the report. To me, when my read of the statement was that they're saying they want more information and they want China to be more forthcoming, as in, you know, they want China to fork over all of the data they have a lot more easily. And I should say the WHO team leader, Peter Ben. And Barak uh, has acknowledged that, quote, politics was always in the room. Of course, there was political pressure from all sides. But I think we were able to create a space for the, the two group of scientists that were together. We had nothing to hide, so there was no problem working in an open environment. Uh, and also, you know, just to keep on this for a little bit longer, earlier this month, um, also, a group of 26 scientists actually wrote a letter calling out the limitations of the investigation. And our producer, Derek, talked to one of those scientists, Dr. Philippa Lentzos, and she said this really didn't amount to a proper internal investigation at all. The data that is provided is basically reporting back from studies that were conducted by Chinese colleagues. Um, there's very little data that's been collected by the international experts. 
Dr. Lensos thinks the report doesn't have enough evidence for how it ranks the likelihood of the different COVID theories that we talked about. So, for example, she's she's pointing out that she doesn't think it has enough evidence um, for why the virus leaking from a laboratory is extremely unlikely. What we need now is a credible investigation, because what we've got at the moment is a report that, sure, it provides uh, some new data, but the trade-off for that new data is that the Beijing government appears to have ticked the box for an international investigation and will now use this to its full advantage by shifting attention away from China and demanding other countries undergo investigations. She says we can't ignore how this scientific question is also a hugely political one. Are you ultimately concerned that politics is interfering with our ability to get answers, um, even to get more information and more data from China? The letter from these researchers, it's notable they posted that before they even saw the report. Another thing worth noting is, you know, the way that this works, kind of, and what are the levers for control to get what you want? So if if the goal is to have a really good investigation where they have as much access as they want, it seems to me that beating their fists on a table and saying that we we need this right now, we're not going to believe anything except for exactly what we want, isn't the way they're going to get there. Um, the WHO is made up of member countries, which includes China and includes the U.S. and includes like 194 other member states. Um, so they have to kind of work through diplomatic channels. There are no kind of legal levers that they have to say that they do get to bust down the door and do what they want. Right, because you you also have to think, you know, how good can a report like this be when uh, these guys only had like four weeks on the ground, two weeks once they finished quarantining? Yes, that's exactly it. And I, and I think another kind of misconception is that this is the concluding report, but it's not. In fact, it's the first investigation. So everybody I spoke with are saying, you know, what this does is point the way forward for future investigations. You know, if I think of it as like a documentary of a kind of like a murder mystery. Uh, this is sort of like picking out the suspects who are super fishy. Does it mean that they have figured out everything? No, but they know here's a suspect that's super fishy. We want to go and look more closely at, at that avenue. Another very uh, yeah. simplistic question that I just I just want to talk to you about before we go today. You know, this idea that we need to get to the bottom of this. Like, what? Why do we need to get to the bottom of this? What would it give us to help prepare for the next pandemic or prevent the next pandemic? You know, if we find that, for example, um, this outbreak began with a farm that farmed wildlife, say there's a farm that farmed um, raccoon dogs, which I just learned are a thing. If we found that's where it began. <laughs> sorry, I also know. just learned that those are a thing too. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to try and say it as much as I can. I'm, I'm from Toronto. We're a big raccoon city, but the, but they're like really a hybrid between yeah. dogs and raccoons. So they're really cool. And I thought of them because one of the researchers I spoke with went to the Huanan market in 2014 and he says he took tons of photos of raccoon dogs in cages being sold. So, so sorry, ba back so to the point. Say, yeah. Back to the point. The point is... 
if they find out that there is an animal that this came from, what sort of ways can you prevent the outbreak from happening? Um, I think with uh, the Nipah virus, there was a study that found that people were being infected partly because of bat guano dropping into the buckets where people were collecting sap from trees. So they were able Mm. to put like sort of covers over the buckets and therefore maybe stop outbreaks that way. And if let's say, which right now we don't have any evidence for a lab leak, but let's say that does turn out to be the case, then we really do need to be more careful with even having these labs exist in the first place. And I think along these lines, some of the reasons why a lot of the scientific community is worried about a lot of these sort of just claims that are often really baseless and not based on any evidence that the coronavirus came from a lab, part of their fear is, you know, just saying that can be really harmful because then the next step you want to take is to shut down these labs. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's worth noting that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they were the first lab to sequence the coronavirus that was infecting people in December. Then they posted that online. And that's completely why we got diagnostic tests for SARS-CoV-2. That's why we could quickly start making a vaccine and developing drugs. So if that lab didn't exist, we wouldn't have that information as quickly. Wow. Uh, I hadn't thought about it like that. Also, it's incredible to hear you say that, that, you know, it's possible that, that a pandemic like this could be prevented by something as simple as putting covers over buckets. But uh, lots for us to think about here. Amy, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, It was so fascinating. Thanks. Canada issued a joint statement with 12 other countries raising concerns about this investigation. Well, before we go today, I just wanted to read you a little bit of that letter. Quote, scientific missions like these should be able to do their work under conditions that produce independent and objective recommendations and findings. The letter goes on. We share these concerns not only for the benefit of learning all we can about the origins of this pandemic, but also to lay a pathway to a timely, transparent, evidence-based process for the next phase of this study, as well as for the next health crisis. That is all for today. I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening to Front Burner. We'll talk to you tomorrow. That is yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. You can catch this morning's edition about 11 o'clock tonight. Front burner is also available on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Here on 93.1 CFIS FM, when After 9 returns, we'll have, uh, well, a fairly lengthy discussion with Tim Ewell about entertainment and other goings-on. The 7th Annual UNBC Timberwolves Legacy Breakfast is a go. Stanley Cup winning coach John Cooper will headline this year's virtual morning event. The Legacy Breakfast serves as a major fundraiser for UNBC Athletics with every dollar raised going towards scholarships and bursaries. Tickets are $60 each or 800 for a green and gold corporate package. For tickets, more information and donation options, visit unbc.ca slash legacy dash breakfast the 7th Annual UNBC Timberwolves Legacy Breakfast, 7.30 a.m. Wednesday, May the 5th.
Vancouver's longest-running short filmmaking program has announced the six films that will be produced this spring to premiere at the 22nd annual Crazy Eights Gala in May. A variety of movie genres, from cultural drama to dark comedy, are being covered, with each film being produced over the course of eight crazy days. The completed films will be shown on May 1st during the first-ever online Crazy Eights Gala. Full details are available at crazyeights.film. The Crazy Eights 2021 Gala Screening, May 1st, online. Minds in Motion is a weekly program provided online by the Alzheimer's Society of BC for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each session has a 30-minute fitness video followed by 45 minutes of social time. Sessions are offered Tuesday through Thursday from 10 to 11.30, as well as Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 1 to 2.30. For more information or to register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033 or email info.helpline at alzheimerbc.org. Richmond Cares, Richmond Gives is presenting a virtual training series on volunteer management. Topics covered include planning a volunteer program, recruitment, marketing, and communications, and recognition, retention, and staff volunteer relations. The online classes are 10.30 to noon, Tuesdays and Thursdays, from May 4th to May 20th. Full details are available through the Training Center link at rcrg.org. The Virtual Volunteer Management Training Series from Richmond Cares, Richmond Gives. Registration deadline is April 30th. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we've uh, it's been a while since we've had Tim Ewell in studio to chat about entertainment. Hey, and what's up with that? I'd like to know. <laughs> well, I guess part of the problem is there's not a lot of local entertainment to talk about. That's true. And That's true. things have closed down again, so it's sort of like, ugh. Yeah, well, there's some news coming pretty quick. How long do we have to wait? <laughs> the online stuff is starting to take off a little bit. I don't know how well. Yeah, do, yeah. But. Well, actually, uh, I did notice Blue Rodeo has an online uh, concert coming up. Uh, uh, Colin James has one yeah, on the way. Very excited to see that one. Yeah, uh, David Gogo as well, which yep. is kind of nice to see. Uh, somewhat lesser-known Canadian acts like that uh, chomping at the bit and getting out there and doing yeah. stuff. And I, I, I wonder how successful those have been because mm-hmm. uh, the 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 cool thing about doing an online concert like that is you can sell the tickets fairly inexpensively because there's no limit to the number of, of tickets that you can sell, right. theoretically. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. It, at some point it could crash the system. But... Uh, so I, I didn't check to see what the price range is, but they've generally been ten, twenty bucks, right, which yeah. is very inexpensive for a concert from someone like Colin. Yeah, James Colin James Blue might Rip- be a hundred, hundred fifty dollars to watch live. Well, I don't know if so. it'd be that much, but if he was at CN Center, you might be paying fifty, sixty dollars yeah, yeah, right? for a large so, venue like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. So yeah, that's uh, it'd be interesting to see if if it's really. Because the last few months, there there hasn't been as many that I've seen come forward. And maybe part of that was just the winter season that you just didn't feel like getting out and doing that. Um, but now that things are warming up, perhaps we'll see a lot more. Yeah, and I think it, it, my feeling on it is that, and we'll see, of course, it could be completely wrong. But my feeling on it is as it becomes a thing, then more people will do it. Yeah. And I think nobody really wanted to be the first one out of the gate trying to make it happen and getting embarrassed by getting low numbers and those yeah. kinds of things. So there has been the kind of the groundwork done for that. And I think that's why you're seeing an upsurge in, in people trying it out. Even the, yeah. even the larger artists now are trying it well, out. Well, I, I think it started with the larger artists, really. I mean, they had the money to do that, right? right? And then, uh, 
the, some of the smaller artists, it, it took a little bit of doing uh, for people to put something together like the uh, the Prince George Live event where, right. where you had a yeah. musician, a comedian, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah. it's And it's you'll a notice that of some of them are, are uh, for charities as well, which is another way to not put pressure on the, the money-making aspect of it. Yeah. And to help people out, of course. I mean, it is, yeah. it's coming from a nice place, of course. But so, it's, so that's a, I can see that being the, the first phase and, and working on it. And we're kind of almost in the second. I feel like we're almost in the second phase of getting people of out. And, yeah. and, and, and hopefully it will be successful and it'll carry us through. So Well, um, the biggest charity, I think, uh, most musicians will say is uh, is them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this. <laughs> Especially the small guys that that yeah. uh, they, that's how they survived was yeah. uh, doing gigs, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's happening, it's happening, and, and of course the other great big thing that's happening, and I don't know if everybody's tuned into this or not, but uh, uh, Knives Out is is uh, going ah. from movie to TV, and uh, uh, Daniel Craig is actually going to lead it up. So that's a super exciting. Uh, if you haven't seen that announcement yet, I haven't uh, seen Knives Out yet, but okay. it's on my Can't list. Can't say too much about it. Eh? <laughs> It should be next few weeks. I'll sit down and, and watch it. I, I get the feeling that uh, I, I'm the type of person that when I'm at home watching a movie, I'm often doing other things. But hmm. but some movies you just can't do that. I was going to say, and, and don't I'm thinking do that with this, this one. one is one where I'm just going to put it on, <laughs> sit there, and just take it in because yeah. it sounds well i mean it, it it's was, one of those sort of classic mystery kind of things yeah, yeah and so yeah you can easily miss things if you're not you're not watching um and it is always the fun to try to try to beat the uh the show and try to get figure the, it the, out the yeah. conclusion so on and so uh what i again what i loved about that just uh, just for those people who haven't seen it yet what i loved about the show was uh, it did have a good mystery to it so you're not gonna yeah. easely solve it i don't think the one thing um, i have uh, a problem yeah. i have with mysteries uh especially i've read a few uh mystery novels and uh at the end they always come out and they tell you exactly how it happened and who did it and blah 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 but i feel cheated if nowhere during the uh, lead up to that uh, climax, if if nowhere in the uh, in the text of the book or the uh, the movie, if there's nowhere that you could have actually figured it out yourself, you know, oh, I don't, again, leave, I don't think you'll have that problem. If this they one leave either. things <laughs> out, yeah, on purpose Purposely or make them a little the, ambiguous, and the, and the or, end they yeah. go, oh. Well, he was blah blah blah. Well, you didn't tell us that. Uh, no, no. There's some <laughs> good cheating. twists in it, but it it is uh, it's it's definitely well, a good, well good done. Mystery. Yeah, well, that's. Uh, but I think what what makes it a really great film. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's a good film. There's lots of good mysteries around. Yeah. So that that makes a good film. Uh, what makes it a great film is the casting, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, they put, great cast. Yeah, They're just but solid. They put they put people in roles that you don't expect. So Daniel oh, Craig okay. is not the suave. Right. You know, James Bond action figure guy. No. He's actually kind of a bit of a bumbler. And, okay. uh, I won't go into too much, but they, they really put his character in a really different light than you. And his acting even yeah. changes over the, this thing. He's not the Daniel Craig that you're going to expect going into it. And, well, and I think good. pretty much, well, not everybody, but just about everybody in the cast is put in a role that really isn't what you expect. It's almost the opposite of what you expect. Right. And the fact that the reason why I say they're great actors is because even under those conditions, they still come out and shine, yeah. um, which is a sign of a great actor. They're not a one-trick oh, sure. pony or yeah. whatever. So I think you're going to really enjoy the fact that those, what I call the juxtaposition of casting mm. um, in well, that can movie. Can you share some of the cast with us? Well, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, oh, um, Don Johnson. Don uh, Johnson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not a big Don that's, Johnson fan, but he was kind of great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, when you see it, you're going to see why. He's, uh, he comes through in the crunch as well. So, and I think the one last thing I wanted to say, oh yeah, one thing the last I wanted to say was that, um, you can almost see the, the actors enjoying their roles. Chris it, Evans is in it. Yeah. So, you know, not only are they doing a great job of acting, but they're kind of enjoying themselves and you can actually kind of see that, that they're not, that they're having a great time together. Um, and I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I wasn't there, but it just seems like they were just having a, a really good time together doing a great show. Mm-hmm. So great, great uh, show. Tony Collette. There's a good actress. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. Uh, yeah. Chris Evans, a funny thing. I was watching, uh, Milk. The uh, autobiographical or biographical movie uh, biopic on Harvey Milk from uh, San Francisco. Chris Evans actually pl- uh, uh, tried out for the boyfriend character in that movie, oh, okay. which I got. Whoa, that that's interesting. <laughs> Had he gotten that, would he have been come? Would he have then become Captain America? Because <laughs> you know, sometimes your choices of roles can can change how people perceive you yes. and then yeah. sort of yeah. rule you Good out point. of other other uh, roles, right? Yeah. So, interesting. Uh, Speaking of Captain America, that's yeah. also a, a good series that's come out, is the the Falcon and the uh, unit, the uh, what's the soldier? Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Winter. I, yeah. I, I yeah, just jumped yeah. out of my head there for a second. Yeah. Uh, I only saw the first two episodes, which are the only ones that are available right now. Uh, but, uh, again... Uh, a nice take on on you know the superhero shows are tough to make interesting nowadays because there's been so many of them and people kind of uh, have had enough of them in a way and I don't blame them for it but yeah. to run to make one really work now you got to really work at it and I think there's a couple of good choices of that like for instance Deadpool is is is, is a good version yep. of that but this also has really reboot this whole thing and some people have been a little bit uh, online have been a little bit skeptical of it because it goes in a different direction after it sort of sets the the plate you might say. Uh, um, well, you know, I guess it's what you like, you know, <laughs> if you want something a little different. So, yeah. Uh, and those are all uh, and who plays Captain America in that one? Actually, I don't know. Who's, whose kid plays Captain America in that one? <laughs> who is it? Uh, Kurt Russell and uh, Goldie oh. Hawn's boy. There you go. Wyatt oh. Russell there plays Captain America. Yeah. I didn't, I wouldn't have known that, but I saw him on, uh, on uh, Jimmy Kimmel the yeah. other night. And uh, he, he's uh, quite enjoying it, even though he was, had had no idea about the Marvel Universe or any of oh, that. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so he yeah. kind of walked into this role not knowing anything about the the whole genre. And that might, in this case, might be a good idea. Oh, yeah. You know, somebody that's yeah. kind of fresh for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. And, I mean, uh, if your mom and dad are, are that big in the industry, chances are you've picked up a few ideas on, way, yeah. on, on how to be an actor. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and chat a little bit more about uh, entertainment with Tim Ewell. Mark Tebow's Succession is available for viewing through May 2nd at Two Rivers Gallery. Featured paintings have been taken from three distinct series, Populated, Elements, and Cycles. The abstract and expressive paintings are driven by the artist's reflection on subjects like temporality and impermanence. Succession by Mark Tebow, on through May 2nd at Two Rivers Gallery. Open from 11 to 5, Tuesday to Saturday, and 9 on Thursdays, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Canada Post is sending a free prepaid postcard to every Canadian household to help citizens stay connected during the continuation of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's all part of their Right Here, Wrote Now campaign, established by Canada Post in September to encourage letter writing as a means of connection. Six different versions of the postcards are being randomly sent to each household, featuring a message of appreciation, love, and thanks. 
When you receive yours, send it along to a family or friend, free of charge, courtesy of Canada Post. Check out the Two Rivers Gallery podcast, Learn From Sharing, a series of voices on diversity. The latest edition features the late David Clements Charles and his granddaughter Amanda Cup, offering a glimpse into David's life, drawing on knowledge derived from living on the land and within his community. It also touches on the changing landscapes and the importance of keeping our land healthy for our children. Caring for the land and each other, the latest Learn From Sharing podcast, available online at tworiversgallery.com. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers this morning. Wind from the southwest at 40, gusting to 60, a high of 6. Partly cloudy tonight, a 30% chance of flurries overnight. Gusting southwest winds becoming light late this evening, a low of minus 1 with a wind chill to minus 6. Cloudy on Friday, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the day. Wind south 20, gusting to 40 late in the morning, and a high of 5. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So, uh, talking about uh, movies, and uh, I've been sort of following along with, um, uh, what is it, Um, uh, American Films, American Film Institute a year ago Mm -hmm. started doing uh, a movie a day uh, that they would put online and, and promote to watch and they just finished uh, i think the 365 days ended yesterday mm. so i i was sort of going along tr- long trying to watch all these i think i'm around 80 percent of them have wow. been watched and uh, one that i watched not that long ago rewatched i'd seen it before was uh midnight express great movie it's a good movie. Uh, I'm a little on the long side, I thought. <laughs> but the thing that caught me about this, like I, I, lot of, I watch a lot of movies, and uh, that movie got an Academy Award yeah. for Best Music Original Score. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, and, and it was uh, an award that Giorgio Moroder picked mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. He's actually won three. Oh, one of the other two. He's been th- nominated three yeah. times, and he won three times. Yeah, wow. Uh, Flashdance. Okay. And Top Gun. Oh, wow. But, but I'm watching uh, Midnight Express, and I'm listening to the music. I didn't even know that he'd won or anything like that. I'm going, wow, is that ever dated? Because it was all that synthesizer stuff yep. that he used, yep. right? Yeah. And it just seemed so dated in that movie. Like, you can, oh. you can watch a lot of movies where the music is of that era. Right. But it still fits in with the movie so well. But this seemed out of, it just took me out of the whole Turkish environment because of the synthesizer and And stuff, right? That's right, yeah. (laughs) But he won the award. So it's like, well, okay, whatever. (laughs) But it was very strange. I'm sitting there and I said, geez, that just seems awkward in there right now. (laughs) So I don't know. Uh, Yeah, kind of an interesting uh, take on that. Well, a a nice little uh, hint, I guess, if you're looking around for for something to watch, um, I am... uh, really promoting right now the uh, City on a Hill series uh, starring Kevin Bacon uh, and others, uh, which I can't think of right now and everybody's doing a wonderful job um but i just wanted to point out that uh that uh it's it's a it's a good sort of uh 
cop show uh, in in, the, in that sense, um, and uh, tough cops in a tough situation kind of show, um, and uh, characters that are uh, not. Uh, black and white in any way. They're very, mm-hmm. uh, very cultured characters, uh, very uh, thought up, thought up, and uh, very uh, fleshed out. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Uh, but I'm really, as I, I've been saying to a few people, that I really feel like, as far as I've seen, anyway, I haven't seen all of the stuff that's good. But uh, Kevin Bacon's performance in that's actually, I would give him the uh, Academy Award for, uh, right. and for that's a supporting actor in this case. He's doing such a great job yeah. of, uh, of a, like I said, a really nuanced well, kind of character. He won't win an Academy Award because this is a TV series. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. definitely an it, Emmy. It, uh, the, I, I, I don't make that differentiation anymore yeah, either. It's yeah. just not worth it. Right? A- anyway, <laughs> uh, and I've, I've talked to you about this uh, off air before yeah. that I, I think Kevin Bacon is one of the most underrated actors I agree. in Hollywood because mm-hmm. he always takes on these, these roles that nobody else is going to take on that's just what i'm thinking right now is like good actor but he goes to these roles that just like why did you do that they're they're not pretty roles by no. any stretch and of the this imagination. one isn't either and so. he loves he loves doing that and and he's never been rewarded for it he's got one golden globe and that's it you know no nominations for academy awards mm-hmm. and and i think wow that's uh kind of a disservice for a guy that that doesn't uh, trod the easy, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't take and those roles. With that, age. And he oh, bettered with age. Yeah. He, he just well, constantly getting better and better and better. Which goes to prove one of the reasons I, I don't like the Academy Awards and, at all is that, uh, you know, if you're not willing to play the politics, it seems like you don't get the same kind of recognition. And maybe we're talking about a case of that right now. But anyway, I just, as I said, this is a, is a, a sort of a binge-worthy kind of situation if people want to get involved with the City on a Hill. And the new season is uh, coming out fairly quickly as well. So, And actually, that's a good point that you make about uh, not playing the, the game because uh, most interviews I've seen with Kevin Bacon, he talks about how he doesn't really get into the whole, whole Hollywood lifestyle. He and his wife live, uh, you know, off in a ranch somewhere, or, you know, <laughs> out, out in nowhere land. And he, he's just never been into that scene, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he, he hit the scene around the same time as uh, Tom Cruise and, and the whole Rat Pack or uh, Brad Pack era, he came along around the same time, but he just sort of didn't, didn't kind of like that sort of aspect mm-hmm. of it. He was in it to be an actor, didn't really want to get into the glitz and the glamour and all that stuff. So I, I think that's part of the reason that, one, he hasn't won any big awards other than that one Golden Globe, mm-hmm. and two, uh, he takes on these challenging roles that, you know, your other big stars generally don't go there. Mm-hmm. And he's not in the tabloids. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, very rarely right is there. In that the is tabloids. the kiss of death right there. Yeah, you're right. I haven't think I've ever seen no. him in anything or being talked about in any way. That's how private. I mean, like, like. Reg well, said for him. he lives away from everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is, I, 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 that's one of the reasons I have such great respect for that, uh, for him as an actor and just, just a person all around. He's just sort of like, nah, I don't need all that. I'm, yeah. I'm an actor and I'll do this, right? Yeah. Uh, almost, uh, almost the same, uh, to perhaps a little bit lesser extent, um, uh, Ferris Bueller. Uh, Broderick, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. You know, yeah. he, also he sort of walked away from Hollywood because he, f- he found that he preferred the, the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have been, I mean, he still does the mm-hmm. movies from time to time, but it's not something that he really cares for. He is more, uh, of a stage star though. Like he does mm-hmm. have that yeah. persona of being that New York guy that, yeah. uh, everybody. Well, movies are popular. 
Yeah. You, you know, know. And, and movies just aren't the thing anymore. Like, uh, I think most of the, the, the way I see it anyway, most of the creativity and, and acting and writing and things like that is actually, I mean, it's still happening in movies, but it's, it's, it's more happening in other genres now. I think a lot of the actors have realized that being confined to a two or two or maybe three hour, uh, format is just not good enough for a lot of the stories that want to be brought out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, in, in many ways, some of the movies that have been made probably should have been series. So right. the, the real, the real, I guess, hot artistic uh, medium right now is not movies, in my opinion. It, it is series. It's series. And, uh, well, it, it's series, but also I think it's uh, it's stuff coming out of of Netflix and, and those type of uh, right. um, platforms. Uh, yeah, be- because they take their time to get it done right. Yeah, you know, even if it's just a mini series, they'll they'll take a piece of property and make it full instead of trying to cram it into two hours or or less. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that's really good about Netflix, I don't know if people understand this either, but, you know, Netflix buys stuff. They don't produce stuff. They, right. I mean, they do produce stuff, but they, they, they buy stuff. So they, they're not, I guess they don't have a, and that's a horse they, in the race. That, and that's how they looking. got the, the Knives Out series, is they bought the rights to, to do that. Yeah, exactly. And they said, you know what, let's make a series out of this. Yeah. It'll so. be interesting to see how that goes, because not always an easy transition from a successful movie to a TV series. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll chat a little bit more. Perhaps we'll get into some sports in a moment. iSpark is seeking a sport and physical activity coordinator for the Northeast region. Reporting to the manager, sport development and community engagement, the position's primary role is to engage with local partners in design and delivery of community-based, culturally relevant sport, recreation, and physical activity programs for Indigenous people throughout the region. Full details are available at iSpark.ca. That's I-S-P-A-R-C dot C-A. The application deadline for iSpark position of physical activity coordinator for the Northeast region is April 13th. Their doors may be closed, but the Exploration Place has a new exhibit. It's the first use of their brand new online collaborations database for a virtual exhibit. The new temporary exhibition has been created to commemorate some of the people, places, objects, and events that have helped shape Prince George. Made possible with support from the government of BC, celebrate our community digitally with the new virtual exhibit from the Exploration Place Museum and Science Center. Find the link at theexplorationplace.com. Although crews with the city of Prince George patch potholes and unclog catch basins all year long, these operations ramp up with the first big melt of the year. Help keep roads as smooth as possible by contacting the city's service center when you spot a pothole or large puddle on the road. Dial 311 within city limits, email 311 at princegeorge.ca, or submit a service request at princegeorge.ca or via the city app. Motorists are also encouraged to exercise extra caution while driving during the snowmelt season. Set yourself up for success as a new executive director with Vantage Point's Executive Director 101. Three three-hour sessions will equip first-time executive directors with practical skills and knowledge to succeed in their role. Full details, including cost, times, and registration, are available through the events link at thevantagepoint.ca. Come away with tangible tools, ideas, and practices to apply in your first executive director role. Executive Director 101, Thursday mornings from 9 to noon, starting May 6th through the vantage point.ca keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around prince george this is after nine on 93.1 cfis fm 
It's the Thursday edition, and quite often on the Thursday edition when we have uh, Tim Ewell in to talk entertainment, we kind of segue into sports and sort of ruin it for those that are going to tune in tonight at 6 for our sports talk show. Well, but we'll touch ever so briefly on some of the things that are going on in pro sports and, and amateur sports actually right now because uh, a lot happening with the COVID and everything. Yeah, well, there's been shut shut down the Western Hockey League there. Yeah, well... And the so, NHL's having its trouble as well. Look how many players tested positive on Kelowna. Yeah. Right away, boom, six yeah. and like. Well, and that's uh, one of the problems is, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is this is the third wave, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I, I think pretty much that's because uh, uh, locally our numbers here, we had gotten to where we were below active, oh, below 300 active cases in the northern region, and we've been uh, well into the 300s, you know, for better part of the month after mm-hmm. dipping down below 300, and we and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, and hence the lockdown across the province. And uh, you talk about the NHL, Vancouver Canucks had a couple of people, including a staff member, uh, two players and a staff member uh, that have been... Uh, put under protocol, and that ended up with a cancellation or postponement of their game yesterday. And uh, WHL has uh, put well, everything Coug- on hold. Cougars were shut down because okay. they were going to play the Giants, but the last team that uh, had contact with Kelowna was the Giants. So, oh, okay, to, just to be so safe, they shut the safe that side, game down. Right. And and this, uh, it, it just. It surprises me, especially in the case of of uh, the the world WHL, that you've got a whole team. And I guess part of the problem is Kelowna is one of the hubs, so those players are not in quote unquote the bubble per se. They're probably living with their billets, etc. So, but the fact that they would take they they would risk their season by not following the protocols because it's pretty simple you just don't go out and party with your friends you know you don't hang out with people unless they're in your bubble right right Mm -hmm. so if you if you do that and then your season gets shelled because of it well how smart is that for a guy who's looking at trying to impress nhl scouts and getting those million dollar contracts on the back end of his whl career right yeah, yeah, but then again, you know, they got, they got the same problem at the professional level, uh, although not less. Um, I keep coming back to it. I mean, just because I watch more soccer than than hockey usually. Oh no! Uh, I always like to throw in that, that soccer doesn't have these problems necessarily at the same level, and yeah. hasn't, even though they do even more international travel. So that's interesting. How that? Uh, why? I've, I the reason I bring it up is just to ask, like, why right. is that? Well, I don't. I don't know why. I have no idea why. I, well, I don't either, but yeah. I would assume that it is because those players are following the protocols. They're just more strict. all the way through, instead of you know just sort of like paying attention to it when it when people are around and they, they could call them on it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, numbers right now for northern BC. We're actually not bad currently. 60 new cases yesterday, uh, 310 active cases. So, we're down closer to that 300 mark. Uh, if we look at this compared to last year, uh, last year it was uh, locked down again at this time of the year. 
and it took till about May that before things opened up, mm-hmm. and then we were good through the through the, through the uh, summer. Yeah, summer right. That was pretty good. Yeah. So fingers crossed, it won't be quite that bad, and we'll be able to get things opened well, up big, in a few big weeks. Big white didn't help matters any. <laughs> yeah, that that and and yeah, a lot of people got fired over that Ooh. one too. Yeah, Big White had uh, Big Party, was that? Yeah, yeah. and they, they, did. And they were getting locked down. They thought that they would get rid of all their booze and food that they could yeah. before the lockdown and hit. the guy lost o'clock. his lease. So they had a big party. and uh, yeah. Well, they and, shut down the whole ski hill, period. And they yeah. so. did, uh, did spot two of their employees so far, so they were fired mm-hmm. at the party. Well, I'm glad we could talk a little bit about uh, sports. <laughs> Well, skiing is a sport. No, that's true. I know, I know, but it's all COVID-related. The other aspect of sports right now is uh, Major League Baseball getting back underway. Yeah. The Blue Jays started. So that'll be another one. That'll be another one worth watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, They actually did okay last year for the the amount of time they were able to put in. But are they still stationed in Tampa? Uh, Toronto would be stationed out of the U.S. somewhere. I'm not sure... I thought last year they played out of Buffalo, but uh, I don't think anyone wants to play out Who of Buffalo play right out now. Of Buffalo, yeah. <laughs> and of course, the biggest sports story in Canada is in tennis, but nobody knows. You know. Okay, quick. <laughs> Bianca Ancescu, if she wins one more game, she's in the final of the uh, Miami Open, and she'll be oh. playing against oh, world she number is finally one. Finally back. Yeah, that's the big story that she's, yeah, she's back and she's back. actually doing really well. So she's yeah, she's two games away from uh, from. Well, she'll be playing the number one in uh, in the world in the final probably. Have you, have you watched her? Right. I've watched a couple of her games now. So yeah. has she got that power back? Or she is an amazing tennis player. Um, when she's on her game, she is. Uh, you know, I think she's top five, maybe, yeah, maybe one. Got, I mean, well, you know, one is uh, one is. It's hard to say in, in women's tennis in particular. Yeah. It's hard to say one because one often isn't the same person every week, right. as it is in men's. It often is much more consistent. Yeah. But uh, if you're in, you know, if top three or five, you know, then you have a chance at one on any given day in women's tennis. I I think so. Um, so yeah, so she's two games away from it, and actually, uh, a lot of people have done the, her a lot of really uh, good uh, turns because many of her major opponents have also been knocked out there really is in my opinion only one one person standing in her way now there unfortunately that person is the is number one is number one, one but okay <laughs> anyway well, lots of everyone, fun to talk about it everyone loves tennis yeah. but don't forget curling rocks and tomorrow Absolutely. starts the uh, men's worlds so we'll have that plus a lot more to talk about tonight uh, just after six or around six on uh, post to post After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.